0: All right. Good morning, Faith Church. What's going on, everybody? Hey, will you do me a favor one more time? Come on, let's jump to our feet. And for 30 seconds, can we give God our best praise? Come on, all over this house. Come on, we just came off of Thanksgiving. There's nobody who deserves thanks more than him. Come on, let's honor the name of Jesus. Come on, is anybody thankful for our Savior today? Come on. And you guys can have a seat. My name is Steve Husky. I'm the lead pastor. just want to say welcome to everybody. It's a privilege to have you in the house. want to welcome our Faith Church family up in Lawrenceburg. It's so good to have you. Come on, let's honor them. It's good to have you guys as well. To all the rest of our guests, our VIPs, everybody watching online, we just want to say welcome. We say it every week, but we don't go tired or tired of saying it. We, we believe that Jesus, he is the hope of the world. And uh, that means wherever you're at, whatever you're going through, whatever obstacle or opportunity, that Jesus, he really is the answer. And if you'll open up your heart and allow him to be the center of your heart in your life, you will find that's the best decision you've ever made. Come on. Does anybody here know that's true? Come on. But listen, today we're launching a brand new series entitled The Perfect Gift. I want you to think about that phrase for a minute. That probably for many of us is already starting to kind of churn through our hearts and our minds as we gear up and get ready for the Christmas season, The, the perfect gift. Right, what is the perfect gift? As we think about buying presents for people who are important to us, our friends and family members, our spouses, our significant others, right? Nobody wants to just grab a present off a shelf, right? There's something in us. We want to find the perfect gift. What is or what makes or what defines something to be the perfect gift? For me, I think it probably includes two things for something to be the perfect gift. I think number one, The perfect gift reflects that you know the person, right? If you buy something that's a perfect gift, you know, it shows you know something about what they like, what they enjoy, about their personality, about their unique tastes, and not just reflects that you know the person, but I think the perfect gift reflects that you value the person. If you're taking notes, and this will help you in all of your Christmas shopping, right, to me, the perfect gift is personable and valuable. Come on, everybody, say the perfect gift. The perfect gift, as we look through this series starting today, is kind of, again, this idea, not so much shopping for each other, but especially when it comes to our relationship with Christ. What is the perfect gift? When I say, again, personable, I mean, again, you know the person. When I say valuable, I don't mean so much that it's expensive, but I mean it's, it's a sacrifice. It costs you something. I remember uh, several, uh, when I was probably, I don't know, third grade, uh... We used to do something, I think they still do it a little bit today in some schools, something called Santa's Workshop. Does anybody remember Santa's Workshop? Santa's Workshop, if you weren't there, you never experienced it. In the elementary schools, they would set up one room around the holiday season that kids could bring a few dollars from home and you could kind of walk through the items and you could purchase small gifts for your family members. Right? And there was always the one kid in school that had a little bit more money than everybody else, and he came and he bought all the gifts for himself. We hated that kid. Most of us, right? We would have several dollars that we could come in and we could shop around. I remember for me, right, way back in the day, I was trying to buy just with a few dollars something for my mom, my dad, and my two brothers. I mean, there's not a lot of you know not a lot of money to go around, so probably somebody's getting the fingernail clippers. <laughs> right? Someone, you know, someone's always gonna end up like you after you spend most of your money of you like, you know just some just some change left, someone's ended up with like a dime pencil. Come on, that's just how it was. Like, what could you afford? But I remember in third grade walking through Santa's workshop, finding what I thought was certainly the perfect gift for my mom. My mom has always loved jewelry, not necessarily expensive jewelry, but she's just always dressed nice. You know, she always wore growing up dangly earrings and nice jewelry. And so I remember walking through, looking at the shelf at Santa's workshop, and there was this bling, this beautiful ring that I thought was perfect for my mom. I thought it fit her well but unfortunately this was way way out of my price range so you know i walked through and i think i got her another nail file that year but i walked i left kind of disappointed because even though i got her a gift it really wasn't the perfect gift but i'll never forget leaving school that day and i didn't make it very far home in fact probably just maybe a few hundred yards from the school and i looked down and lo and behold there on the ground was a five dollar bill Money, 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 money. (laughs) I was like, finder keepers, losers, weepers. I don't know whose it was, but... I mean, I, you know, it was just laying there. I picked it up. I remember running back to the school excited, running into where they had set up, and they were tearing down, boxing stuff up. And I was able at the last moment, and it cost $5 to get this ring back then. Come on. I could you, I mean, a kid can get a lot back in the day for $5, but I wanted to get the perfect gift for my mom. Never forget, man, the morning Christmas that she opened up that gift. I, man, it was personable. It was vibe, It cost me so much. But man, I love giving it because... It was the perfect gift. Everybody say the perfect gift. Perfect gift. Today, I want to kind of begin to unlock a story in the New Testament, and we're going to look at some of the, come on, the, um, <laughs> the OP double Gs, the original perfect gift givers, the Magi, the wise men. We find right out of the gate that they're exactly that. They're gift givers. In fact, check this out Matthew chapter 2, verse 11 says this that they entered the house. Where Jesus was at, and they saw the child Jesus with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him, and they opened their treasure chests and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Again, the wise men were gift givers, perfect gift givers. But before we get too deep into the story, I want to back up and kind of read the backdrop of the story, because this will be the story we look at for the next several weeks. So let's just back this up as we prepare for the Christmas season. We look into this story, Matthew chapter 2, beginning at verse 1, says this, that Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. And about that time, some wise men from Easter lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we've come to worship him. And King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as was everyone in Jerusalem. And he called a meeting of the leading priests and teachers of religious law and asked, where is the Messiah supposed to be born? Now, the reason they knew the answer to this is because it was prophesied in the Old Testament what city the Messiah would be born in, which is what the answer was that they gave to Herod. Verse 5, in Bethlehem in Judea, they said, for this is what the prophet wrote. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not least among the ruling cities of Judah. For a ruler will come from uh, from you who will be a shepherd for my people Israel. Then Herod called for a private meeting with the wise men, and he learned from them the time when the, first, the, the star first appeared. And then he told them, Go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child, and when you find him, come back and tell me, so I can go and worship him too. And after this interview, the wise men went their way, and the star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. It went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was, and when they saw the star, they were filled with joy. Now, there's a lot of details that we could unpack in this story, and we're just going to kind of hone in. But I just have to mention, at least for a moment, Herod. Herod was a guy historically that was absolutely crazy with jealousy for his position. If he felt like in any way, shape, or form that anybody threatened to take the throne from him, he would have them taken out. He would have them executed. He is known historically for even killing several of his own sons for threatening to take the throne from him. So when this word got out that there was this baby that was born, that was the up-and-comer, was the next in line for the throne, he was absolutely outraged, and he refused. And we're going to find out in a few minutes how he responded, but you know, I just have to wonder how many of us in this room are like Herod, that we really refuse to allow room for Jesus to be on the throne of our lives. I, I just want to say this, that Jesus refuses to sit in the back seat and he refuses to sit in the passenger seat, Jesus does not ride shotgun. Either he sits behind the steering wheel of our life or he's not in the vehicle at all. Come on, somebody. And so Herod is a key player in the story, but again, the people I want to look at today are the magi, the wise men. Who were the wise men? Historically, theologians and historians will tell us that the wise men were this elite group from this area of Persia, which is modern-day Iran. Were semi-religious. They were pretty hardcore astrologers. They loved to watch, or astronomers and astrologers. They loved to watch kind of things that were happening in the sky, which is why they find we find them following this star, this anomaly in the sky. They also followed different prophecies of different religions in the surrounding areas, and so they see this star and they follow and ultimately find the Christ child. Now, again. Tradition tells us there's three we don't know historically biblically how many there were there if there were two three four five We do know that they didn't show up at the manger where jesus was born the magi showed up several months or years later likely two years later But what's crazy and what we need to talk about for a few minutes is not so much who The magi were as much as what the magi did See the wise men. What makes them crazy is we know in order to get from where they were at in Persia to get where they, where Jesus was ultimately born and raised, that it's somewhere between eight and nine hundred miles. Now, if you're rolling Delta, that's no big deal. But if you're rolling camel, eight or nine hundred miles? Come on! And not just eight or nine hundred miles. We know it probably took them somewhere again up to two years of searching for Jesus. But what's crazy is they put in this huge sacrifice to get to Jesus, to give something to Jesus. Let me tell you why that's important, because after this moment, what you find throughout the life of Jesus is people keep coming to Jesus to get something from Jesus. But they were unique in that they came to Jesus to give something to Jesus. And I just want you to know that Jesus is the person. He is the God. He is the one that we should always come to because he is the one who can give us life, and joy and forgiveness and hope and salvation and strength in life. He's the one we find purpose in and power in. He's the one we find our all in all in. And so I want you to know we can always come to Him, but at some point there has to be a shift where we stop coming to Him just to get something from Him and we start coming to Him to give something to Him. Come on. That's who the wise men were. They were perfect gift givers. In fact, check the story out, verse one more time, verse 11. Come on, everybody, let's read this together. That way you can start the week right reading the word. Verse 11, they entered the house and saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him, and they opened their treasure chests and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now think about this. Gold is the perfect gift. That doesn't make sense for a baby. I mean, you got a two-year-old, probably toddler, I mean, what do you get a baby? I mean, at this point, toddlers, we know it. If you have kids or have had kids or grandkids, two-year-olds play with boxes. They don't play with the toys. But what do you get if you're, if you're going to a birthday party for a toddler? What do you get? You're probably going to get some toys, or you're going to get something really practical that the parents can use in raising the child, right? Here the wise men show up, and they have gold, which seems like a very impractical gift for a two-year-old. Why did they bring gold? It's because they were perfect gift Givers, if you're taking notes, the gift of gold was a recognition of royalty. Come on, you give give gold to kings. When you follow history, you always find people in charge, people in authority. You always find sovereigns and kings and pharaohs. You always find them surrounded by gold, crowns of gold, scepters of gold, jewelry of gold, buried with gold. The pharaohs of old in ancient times, gold. The kings in Middle Ages in Europe, gold. It's always gold is fit for a king. And so the reason they brought Jesus gold is because, come on, this may be news to some of you, some of us in this room this morning and watching online, we ought to be passionate to declare the reason they gave Jesus gold is gold is for kings. And Jesus, he is the king of all kings and the Lord of all lords. Come on, somebody. You say, well, come on, man, he's just, a, he's just a two-year-old. And some of you have two-year-olds in your house who is the king of the house, But that's a different (laughs) that's a different message. Jesus, he really was king. You say, what what makes a two-year-old? What makes a toddler the king? Well, again, the way the story opens up, the Magi recognize the royalty of Jesus right in the very beginning of the story. Again, Matthew chapter 2, verses 2 and 3, it says, Where is the newborn king of the Jews? That was the question of the Magi when they showed up at Herod's palace. We saw his stars that rose, and we've come to worship him. King Herod, also afraid of this new king, says, King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as was everyone in Jerusalem. So the story starts off with the Magi recognizing he was king. But if you're taking notes, let me just give you some things that recognize us and help us to understand that Jesus is the king. First of all, he's king by prophecy. Throughout the Old Testament, there are all these, littered throughout the Old Testament, are all of these spoken words. Men of God who spoke and said there was a person coming, a Messiah, a deliverer, a rescuer, that that in the hopelessness of humanity, someone was coming to rescue us. For It's certainly from the perspective of the Jewish people who were in bondage to, to different nations, Babylon and Assyria, that there were these prophetic words that someone was coming, a deliverer that would rescue them. But in those prophecies was a person who would not just come as the deliverer, and not just come as the rescuer, and not just come as a prophet, and not just come as the Messiah. But throughout scripture, there are all these prophecies that when he came, he would also be king. In Jesus, he is the prophesied king. In Isaiah 9, 6, this is something you'll find, especially in this season, you'll find a lot of times on Christmas cards. But this is what Isaiah the prophet spoke about Jesus coming says this, for a child is born to us, a son is given to us. Come on, everybody say to us. It's ours too. the government will rest on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God. Come on, does anybody know him as Everlasting Father, as Prince of Peace? And his government and its peace will never end. And, his ru- and he will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David for all eternity. He's not just king by prophecy in the Old Testament, but looking forward further in the New Testament. Jesus didn't just come once. Come on, how do people know that he's coming back? That didn't start with Arnold Schwarzenegger and the Terminator. Jesus was the original, I'm coming back. And ultimately, when he comes back, John writes him coming and descending out of heaven. And it says, written on his side is this, that he is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Come on, Jesus is the king. Not just by prophecy, but by proclamation. Right? There were all these people in his life who declared him to be king. In fact, it started all the way in the beginning with the angel Gabriel. Had an encounter with Mary. We know the story. Mary, come on, she's, she doesn't get pregnant by a person. She gets pregnant by the power of the Holy Spirit. I just want you to know something today. If God can put a baby in the womb of Mary, not using the traditional, come on, not, not going through the person of a man, but God can do it through the power of the Holy Spirit, there's nothing God can't do in and through your life. Nothing is impossible with God. But again, Jesus is king by proclamation. Here's what the angel said to Mary. Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. And he'll be very great, and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever, and his kingdom will never end. He's not just king by prophecy and king by proclamation. He's king by pedigree. Do y'all see a pattern developing here of the piece? I worked hard for this. Come on, y'all. Give me a little bit of love. <laughs> Got to form it. Got to shape it. King by pedigree. But when I say pedigree, I mean his lineage. I mean his genealogy. I don't y'all are tracking with what's happening. This has been happening for a couple of years, and it's kind of blowing up. Is, is everybody is spitting in bottles and submitting it to labs all over the world? To test and figure out your genome and, right, 23 and me, it's crazy. I'm, I'm out. I'm conspiratorial. I'm not, I'm, I'm not giving anybody my DNA. People are finding out that they have kids they didn't know they had. For real, people are finding brothers and sisters they had no idea they had. Crimes are being solved. Listen, some things are better left in the closet. Come on. Uh, it's, It's crazy because, again, people are figuring out their family tree. They're figuring out who they're related to, which I think is awesome. But I'm going to tell you something. Listen, I have a great family, and I love all those that I know that I'm related to, and I'm sure there's some great people in our family line that I'm related to. I'm thankful for my natural lineage, but I want you to know something. All of us in this room who, who have been born again through Christ, we have a spiritual lineage. Uh, we have a spiritual lineage. Listen, I'm thankful, but my, my natural lineage is going to run out. My spiritual lineage is forever. I was born once to a natural father, but I've been born forever, born again by a spiritual heavenly father. Come on. Right. That is far more important. But Jesus is declared king through his lineage. In fact, when you read the Gospels, you read right in the beginning of Matthew and Luke, you find two genealogies of the life of Jesus. If you're going to start reading your Bible, don't start there. Now some of you are going to start there. And if I tricked you into reading your Bible, I went either way. But it's because it goes, it's just kind of a bo- boring read. But it's like, you know, so-and-so begat so-and-so begat so- so-and-so so had a kid who had a kid. And their names we can't even pronounce. I make half of them up, but you don't know any better because I'm the preacher and you just give me the benefit of the doubt. <laughs> and you're like, why are they there? And worse, worse than them being there, let's be honest... Is when you compare them side by side, they don't match, which has made people who question the validity of Christianity and the truth of God's word to say God's word can't be trusted because it's full of mistakes. People who say God's word is full of contradiction and mistakes are not educated and have not done their research. There is a very specific purpose that the genealogy in Matthew is different than the genealogy in Luke, and it's for this reason. There's not a contradiction in Scripture, and God's word is not wrong. It's because when you read the genealogy of the life of Jesus it runs through his legal line Joseph Joseph wasn't his real father because his real father again was the, his heavenly father but it showed if you really have you if you really can be the son of David and you can really claim the throne of David then show us through the legal line show us through the line of your dad which is what Matthew records but when you get over to Luke Luke records his 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 maternal line his bloodline is through Mary but basically what the genealogies are showing is Jesus had every right to be the king through the throne of David, whether it was through his legal father David or his natural mother Mary. Either way, he had right to the throne. He was king by pedigree. He was also king by practice. I got two more if you're wondering how many peas I have. (laughs) We can do this all day. King by practice. What good is a king who has no authority? What good is a king who has no subjects? And when you follow Jesus in his ministry, you find absolutely he had authority. For us, if we're honest, as we go through life, a lot of times we run into things that have authority over us. One of the most difficult things in life to go through is when you feel helpless and powerless. There are circumstances that we go through. There are situations we face in our marriages. As much as we want to be in control financially, we have really no control over the markets. As much as we would wish to never get sick, we just don't have that control. And sometimes we get sick and we go to the right doctor and the right specialist and go through the right treatment and we're still no better. Some of us in this room are struggling with addiction and we don't want to be addicted. And we've gone through the 12 steps and we've prayed the prayers and we've done the thing and we've read the books and we've gone through the programs and to no avail. And the reason we are trapped by so many things in life is because we don't have authority over the things that have authority over us. But there is somebody. Come on. There is somebody who has authority. Everything over us is under him. Jesus has the name above every name because Jesus is the king. And he demonstrated it throughout his life he stood on the bows of boat and he demonstrated that he had authority over the na- over nature over natural things like storms he commanded a storm to cease and it stopped the wind stopped blowing the rain stopped falling and the waves stopped rolling because Jesus has authority over nature over people who were bound with demons life-controlling issues that they had no authority over themselves Jesus commanded them to come out and they came out because Jesus has authority over everything in the realm of the spirit Jesus people who were bound up sick and couldn't go to the right doctor couldn't find the right cure, came to Jesus, and every single one of them was healed because Jesus has authority over everything that has authority over us because he is the king. Why did they bring gold? It seems so impractical for a titler, but it was the perfect gift because it recognized who Jesus was. Gift of gold was a recognition of royalty. He's not just king by Prophecy and proclamation and pedigree and practice. One more, he's king by preaching. When you follow Jesus, Jesus never invited people to a religion. He didn't invite people to church. There wasn't a church. Jesus invited people into the kingdom. The primary message that Jesus preached was the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven. And he he would preach in parables and he would say the kingdom of God is at hand. You say, what was he saying? He was saying there's this natural realm that we all see with our natural eyes and there are different people in authority, and there's governors, and there's Caesars, and for us, there's presidents and congressmen and women. He's saying, no, 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 that's the, there's, that's the, natural, that's the natural order of this world. But he said, there's a spiritual kingdom you can't see. And it operates on different, par- different principles than this world operates. But you better be clear and be sure that it absolutely is a kingdom, and in that kingdom, there is a king. And while the King Jesus at this point doesn't sit on the throne of this planet, he does sit on the throne of our hearts. And many of us have surrendered the throne of our life to him and re recognize it was the best thing we could ever do is to give up control to the one who deserves it, who, who, come on, is worthy of it, is to give it to Jesus. And so Jesus came to be a king of a spiritual throne and an earthly throne and ultimately one day an eternal throne because Jesus is king now in us and ultimately forever. Jesus is the king of kings. So ultimately, the level of their sacrifice reflected the level of his significance. They brought him gold because he was worthy of it, because he was the king. Let me ask you a question. Are you bringing Jesus gifts that recognize his value in your life? Is how you live and what you give recognize who he is and what he's done. Again, the perfect gift. Everybody say the perfect gift. The perfect gift is personable invaluable it's personable it honors who that person is and it's valuable it it's sacrificial to give again I want you to notice it one more time verse 11 notice this it says again they entered the house and they saw the child with his mother Mary watch this come on read it with me and they bowed down and come on every voice here they bowed down and they then they opened their treasure chest and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. The gift was part of their worship. The present was part of their praise. See, they just didn't come They just didn't come with something verbal. They come with something tangible. I'm just going to say something. I, way too many Christ followers come empty-handed to the house. And they just refuse. He recognized that, that if I'm going to come and I'm going to give the perfect gift, then the perfect gift is something that's sacrificial. And we can never, listen, I want you to know something, it's an oxymoron to believe that we can give something to God that celebrates him without costing us. Because if it doesn't cost you, David in the Old Testament, he, this beautiful phrase, he said this, he says, I refuse to offer to my God that which cost me nothing. Because he recognized the price he paid for it personally was a reflection of, of how he honored God. And for us, man, as, as people, we follow that we don't see the word gifts or presents in the Bible You don't find people giving God gifts. You find the word instead that's used is sacrifice. And sacrifice, I think, is an appropriate word because it it recognizes not only what we do, but it recognizes what it costs, a sacrifice. And I'm just going to tell you that as we do what we do, and as we honor God with the perfect gift of our lives, God asks and has the right to demand it costs us nothing less than everything. You say, how audacious, how can God demand from me everything? He can demand from us everything because he set the price and the bar himself by giving to us everything. He gave his life and that's why he can turn around to his followers, you and I, and say, if you're going to follow me, take up your cross, give it all. And that seems like such a high price. But when you recognize who he is and you recognize what he's done, I don't know about you, but man, I want to give him the perfect gift, which means we cannot continue to come empty handed. We've got to bring something not just spiritual, but physical. But when we do it, when God uses, I'm telling you something incredible happens. Y'all want to see the best part of this story? I love this, man. As as we watch this story unfold, we see again, not only something personal, the gold reflected that Jesus was king. But it was valuable. It was tremendously costly. I remember when I, was a, when I was a kid, again, one of the greatest gifts I got, I didn't recognize it in the moment. You know how it is. You don't recognize the sacrifice of your parents until you're a little bit older. Say thank you, even if you don't mean it, because you'll get to an age where you think, ah, I'm really thankful. Come on. Anybody here thankful for some parents in the house? <laughs> anybody here remember BMX bikes? Anybody have a BMX bike, 20-inch? The cool kids had BMX bikes. All the rest of you had 10 speeds. <laughs> BMX bikes were the ones that you would set up a wooden ramp on two bricks and you would jump your friends. <laughs> right? And there was always the smart kid that got on the bike. And there was always the, the daring kid that got first. And there was always the dumb kid that was the last kid in line. Because he's the, he's the one who always caught the back tire on his forehead. <laughs> I remember one year, the hot gift, right? There was all the hot gifts when I was with Cabbage Patch dolls. That was a hot gift one year. Right? I remember every year there's a hot gift. When I was a kid, the hot gift, because most BMX bikes had 20-inch tires, the hot gift that came out one year was 26-inch BMX bikes. And everybody wanted them. Murray, man, was just they were gold, or they were uh, blue and silver, man, awesome. Everybody wanted them. Well, we didn't have a lot of money coming up, but I'll never forget my dad, in hindsight, he was able to get me and my two brothers one. But looking back on the story, what made the gift so perfect wasn't just that he got us something that everybody else wanted, but it was sold out everywhere. And so my dad, we grew up in Akron, was willing to drive from Akron to Cleveland. And he got to Cleveland in a blizzard and realized he left his wallet at home and came back home, got his wallet, went back to Cleveland, purchased the bikes, came back home, and stayed up all night putting them together. So we woke up Christmas morning to some 26-inch 20, BMX bicycles. Now, here's a, what made it the perfect gift wasn't that it was personable. It was a sacrifice. You know how easy it would have been for my dad to say, well, sorry, they're sold out. Well, I, I found some in Cleveland, but it's too far to drive. Well, Cleveland's not that far, but there was a blizzard. Well, I went to get them, and I got there, and I forgot my wallet, and I couldn't go back. No way. What made the gift so incredible and what made it perfect wasn't just that it was personable. It was valuable. It was a sacrifice for my dad. Are you giving God something that's a sacrifice? Are you giving God something that's a sacrifice? The magi, the wise men showed up with a personable and valuable gift of gold that recognized he was king and was a sacrifice because he was worthy. But here's how the story unfolds. Matthew chapter 2, verse 13. This is so powerful. I want you to see this. It says, after the wise men were gone. When? Come on, everybody read it. After the wise men were gone. So they show up. They hang out. They have Christmas morning with Jesus. Not really, but they're opening presents. Here's two-year-old toddler Jesus. They give him gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And as soon as they leave, after the wise men were gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up! Flee to Egypt with the child and his mother, the angel said, and stay there until I tell you to return because Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. Watch. Remember I told you Herod was insanely jealous. He wanted to do whatever it took to guard his throne from any threat. And so when he heard that there was potentially this new new king of the Jews, he set out a plot to kill this new king. Well, how did he know who he was and how did he know where he was at? Remember, he called a council. Hey, when did you see the star again? Well, they were able to pinpoint when. And where is this Messiah going to be born, Bethlehem? Now he knew where. And recorded biblically and some historically, we find what is known as the massacre of the infants. That King Herod made sure that he went into Bethlehem and killed every male child two years and younger to make sure he wiped out any threat to his throne. Was Maybe you don't know this, but just some people are like, how could he do that? And that's horrific. But Bethlehem's a really small backwater town, which means probably, based on the population at that time, based on how many people had kids, male kids, that were two years and younger, he probably killed somewhere between 10 and 15 kids. We as a nation have killed 30 million in the womb. Just a side point. But here's what's wild is, when you read this whole story, here's what you find out, is that God used the perfect gift as a rescue plan for his purpose. What got Jesus out of Bethlehem into Egypt was the wise men or the one who financed the trip. You know how it is to travel, how expensive it is? Ask yourself a question. How did Joseph have the money, a poor carpenter's son who didn't even have the money to buy a room? Don't tell me there was no room in the end because money, talk, money talks and other stuff walks. If he had a ride of money, money, I promise you, you could have bought a room. He didn't have the money to get a room. So how does a poor carpenter's son have the money to travel all the way to Egypt and stay there, unemployed? Well, the gift just showed up. If you're taking notes, biblical worship always contributes to kingdom work. Real biblical worship. Not just, oh, Lord, praise you. But real biblical worship, it's a sacrifice. And God will take you holding cameras and holding microphones and holding babies and holding doors. God will take your gifts and your talents and your finances and your time. And if you're giving it right and you're using it right, I want you to know God will use it to advance his kingdom. God took gold that was brought by wise men that really didn't worship the true king until that point. And he financed the rescue of his son Jesus that Herod could not kill him but brought him out. I mean, that's amazing to me. God will put resources in your path to finance his plan. Some of the stuff you have, God gave you, not for you, but God put in your hand to finance and advance his kingdom. You say, why would I do that? Because I want to give God the perfect gift. What's the perfect gift? It's one that's personable and one that's valuable. So when you read verse 13, here's what you find. Verses 1 through 12 happen, so verses 13 through 15 could happen. The wise men traveled, showed up two years, eight, nine hundred miles, brought gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh if for no other reason what seemed impractical was perfect. So Joseph and Mary had the resources to get their newborn son out of Bethlehem and into Egypt. That's awesome. What could God do through your life if you were willing to give the perfect gift? the perfect gift. Two months or two weeks uh, from today, we're going to receive a special offering because I want us to get ready. We announced last week, maybe you were here, but we're getting ready to begin working on a new building for our Lawrenceburg campus. Come on, is anybody excited about that? I'm fired up. And I, I mean this with all of my heart. If this isn't your church, then just leave knowing why they brought gold. Leave knowing that as you're shopping, look for the perfect gift. Look at how it works in your own life and your relationship with Christ. But if this is, this is, this is your church, I want to challenge you, ask you, dare you, drag you, kicking and screaming. Let's do it together celebrating. Let's get on board and let's give God the perfect gift. Two weeks from today, day, we're going to do a special offering. You say, why in the world? We got a nice building here. Why are we building another building? When I came here, we were one service. went from one to two, from two to three. And now I went from one campus to two. We will go from two to three, from three to four. Yeah. Here's why. It's because I have the privilege of regularly hearing the same story. And it never gets old. Here's the story we hear on a regular basis. Is pastor, I came. And they always recognize the same things. People will say this, pastor... We brought our kids, and our, we don't, we don't, we're not even sure we want to go back, but our kids love it. And they leave, and they know the Bible story, and they're, they're quoting scripture, and they can't wait to get there. Our kids love it there. Anybody here thankful for our kids' ministry? Yeah. We hear that? Second thing we hear is, uh, I was intimidated to come. I heard it's a big church. I was afraid I wouldn't know anybody, but I showed up. And I can't believe how many, how many people talked to me. I can't believe how friendly it was. How many people know that's true? Come on. Yeah. Thankful to be a part of that. Third thing, third thing we hear, I'm telling you, we hear this over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. It's how good looking the pastor is. Just it's, it's strikingly handsome. It's not ego, it's I'm self conscious and I'm covering it up. We hear the worship. Man, we just love your worship. Anybody thankful for our worship team? But in in either of those tracks, here's a story we always hear. I'm telling you, it's it's inevitable. And some of you, this is your story. I came, I grew up in church. It was condemning. I didn't understand anything. I went to church for 30 years, never learned anything. And I came to Faith Church. And my family left. And we left talking about the scripture. And we came. We left talking about this. And I remembered it. And through the week, I remembered it. And I I left, and my life was changed. And I experienced, and I wept the whole service. I I don't even know why, but I sat there and cried the whole service. How many people have been dramatically changed and impacted by what God's doing here? And so I just want you to know that that I'm committed to make sure that we have churches. Where There are relevant environments where God's presence is welcome, where he is celebrated in a way that makes sense. So people leave and they've experienced true life change through Jesus. And if we have to keep adding services and keep adding facilities, we're going to do whatever it takes to reach people, whoever they are, wherever they're from, whatever their background is. We want to make sure we have a seat for them so they can come in northwest Alabama and middle Tennessee and they can have a true encounter with Christ. We're committed, whatever it costs. Because the perfect gift isn't just personable, it's valuable. And I want to ask you if this is is your church, and maybe that's your story, that you make it possible for someone else to experience what you've experienced. But that starts with Jesus first being king. And sometimes I bump him off the throne, and I know you do too. How I many people just say, man, I just need to make sure he's always the king of my life. So, Lord, we're so thankful for the gift of the Magi. It seems so far removed, and it seems impractical, but it speaks so much that they were the first perfect gift givers. And I pray all over this room for every, every one of us in every situation that we would know and recognize and declare that Jesus, you are not just the king, you're my king, you're our king. And, Lord, we want to give you in our life the perfect gift because you were first the perfect gift giver. And so, Lord, I pray in Jesus' name, help us daily from moment to moment, situation to situation, to make you the king of our lives. In Jesus' name. And everybody who agrees, say amen. Come on, let's stand to our feet. We're going to worship together, Faith Church.